This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 8, Confession and Covenant. Christian Missions to the Communist World in their newsletter of December 1989, gave an interesting account of a Soviet provincial president of the Cheka, or secret police, under Lenin. Andrei Srubov had a religious devotion to the Soviet regime. He held that, for the good of the revolution, even killing is a joy. Because his wife feared him and was ashamed of him, he was ashamed of her and regarded her as retarded. Later, she left him. However, when Srubov slept, he had nightmares about his victims. In the end, he was hospitalised in a psychiatric asylum, lost his job, and then faced another Cheka officer like himself, a man who had killed his own officer. This is a story repeated in the lives of other Marxist leaders. There is no reason to doubt it. An old proverb has it that murder will out. Pilpay, or Bidpay, was the name of the court scholar of a prince of India around 326 BC. This Pilpay said, Guilty consciences always make people cowards. Shakespeare in Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1, says the same thing. Conscience does make cowards of us all. Of course, Paul in Galatians 6-7 tells us, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is true that many Soviet torturers have suffered through Bob's fate, but not all. It is true also that conscience does hinder a man's actions very often, but not always. When Paul tells us that a man reaps what he sows, he does not mean that all reckonings are in time, nor that all accounts are settled in this world. I have seen murderers flourish and rapists in high places and low live out their lives untouched by man's law. It is no problem for some to continue speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, from 1 Timothy 4.2. I have heard men, confident that I would say nothing, and that none would believe me if I did, tell me of fearful offences they had committed, secure in the knowledge that their positions would make them secure. One was a Protestant, another a Catholic, and both were influential in their churches. Too many men whose consciences are indeed seared with a hot iron. Confession is an anathema. Their perspective being humanistic, any true confession would be a surrender of their self-government and freedom. In another context, in the murder of Captain White, Daniel Webster said, There is no refuge from confession but suicide, and suicide is confession. In fact, I once had a man who sought relief from a very bad conscience refused to confess whatever haunted him by declaring that confessing to God was a form of suicide. He stood up and left. With each passing year, 
as the humanism of our culture deepens, confession to God becomes more and more a form of suicide to modern man. In a sense, this view is sound. Confession to God means acknowledging our sins and transgression and taking hands off our lives to commit them on, unto God. It is a recognition that our defiant self-rule has been a disaster and that we are ready to submit to God and his sovereign grace. It means dying to ourselves to live in Christ. But as Charles B. Fairbanks, 1827-1859, said in Memorials of Mrs. Grundy, Quote, the sewing circle is the Protestant confessional where each one confesses not her own sins, but the sins of her neighbours. There may well be a correlation between the decline of true confession and the rise of gossip of confessing other people's sins. Confession has also been damaged by the relativism of our time. The humanistic denial of moral absolutes has infiltrated many circles. Dr. Paul Kurtz, principal author of the 1973 Humanist Manifesto II, has denied biblical morality while insisting that all education is moral and that moral values should be taught in the public schools. Quote, Whose moral values would be taught then? The values of Western civilization, going back to the ancient Greeks like Protagoras and Aristotle and the Stoics through Spinoza, Kant, and the whole great Western ethical tradition, said Kurtz. This is the tradition which says ethics depends on man's rational intelligence, that what you want to cultivate in the young is an appreciation for the needs of others, a kind of moral awareness. Moral principles based on divine revelation or church authority are unacceptable, Kurtz said. He said there are general, but no absolute, principles of morality. Sincerity, honesty, loyalty, truth-telling are all general moral principles which any educated person who reflects on morality at all will appreciate. It's so paradoxical when people say humanists want to break down morality. That's nonsensical. We believe very deeply in morality. Intelligent people know there are no absolutes, he said, because moral principles often conflict and must be worked out by experience. He said that it is always wrong to rape a three-year-old child, but that he would prefer to call this a general rather than an absolute principle. But there can be no absolute principles for such things as lying, birth control, divorce, or even adultery, Kurtz said. End quote. Like all humanists, Kurtz finds it difficult to avoid self-flattery. Intelligent people know there are no absolutes. By definition, intelligence means humanism. But perhaps we should not complain. After all, in Kurtz's moral universe, it is always wrong to rape a three-year-old child. Are they no longer safe at age four? Kurtz has made a confession of his faith. What about biblical confession? We have already seen the meaning of Joshua's appeal to Achan to confess, tauda, to give glory to God. Other words are translated as confession, which tell us more that we need to know. Quote, and Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. End quote. 
from Second Chronicles 30.22. Quote, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and we have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. End quote. From Daniel 9, 4-5. Here the word is yada, meaning to hold out the hand, to throw, a similar meaning as in Joshua 7.19. In both cases, there is an indirect reference to God's covenant with his people. This is more than an indirect reference in the New Testament. Quote, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. End quote. From Romans 10.10. 10. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. From 1 Timothy 6.13 The word in Romans 10.10 10 is homologitai. In 1 Timothy 6.13, homologian. It means to assent, profess, acknowledge or covenant. It is legitimate to see confession both in the sense of confessing sins and also praising God as basic to covenantalism. Because the covenant establishes a community between God and man, there must be the communication of honesty, confession of sins, and thanksgiving or praise. Homologeo comes from two Greek words, homos, same, and lego, to speak. It means literally to speak the same thing, to have an accord or agreement. It refers to the covenant. We are too prone to read the Bible in terms of modern speech, that is, to give a minimal meaning to things. However, in Amos 3, 2-3, we read, quote, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? End quote. To be in covenant requires being in agreement. Since God's covenant is not only a covenant of law but also of grace and is a covenant made by the creator within his creature, creator with his creature, man's life and words must be in agreement with his covenant lord. Covenantalism therefore requires confession. We must confess our departures from God's covenant law, we must praise him for his grace and mercy, and we must strive constantly to bring our being into agreement with his covenant law word. Where confession wanes, the covenant is broken. This is the end of chapter 8. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit 
reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.